Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the word of God, Lord. Thank you for all of your encouragement. I pray as, as we uh, go through this text this morning, God, that you just, even if it's just one thing, you'd allow that one thing you want to talk to us about this morning to resonate in our hearts, that we'd be thinking about it through the week. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you ready? Today we are talking about Jehoshaphat. Everybody say that. Jehoshaphat, you know. Uh, you might think, man, you're on a series called History Makers. That's our series, History Makers, the, you know, top, kind of the top 40 men and women of the Bible who advance the story of God. How come you're stopping and doing Jehoshaphat? Uh, this guy's never talked about, except that maybe in like little kids' uh, Sunday school or whatever. You know, why, how does this guy, who nobody's ever really heard about, advance our relationship with God? Well, today you're going to find out just how this one man was very different and odd for his times, for he was the one king that constantly checked in with God over every decision in his life. My wife kind of shudders when I say this. Don't worry, honey. I got this. All right? How many wives are like, oh, man, every time my husband says that, I just hold my breath and close my eyes and hope we don't fall off a cliff, you know? When we first moved here uh, seven years ago now, I remember uh, Pastor Jerry Ruff, who was the previous pastor, founding pastor of the church, he said, you know what, you guys have got to go see our beaches, uh, you know, because we had only gone to the Los Angeles beaches. So, oh, no, you got to go see our beaches, the Central Coast. I said, man, that sounds great. I've never seen that. So he said, you know, take a Saturday, drive on over. It's, it's short enough where you can go over and come back in a day. He says, she only take you about an hour and a half. I'm thinking, an hour and a half? That's great. Yeah, I could go back there and back in a day. So I remember when we first moved here, he said, Highway 58 will take you all the way to the beach. <laughs> and so we get in the car, I pack my three kids in, and my wife is like, have you checked in over the route to go to the beach? I said, honey, don't worry. I got this. I got this. She's, she said, because... One of the ladies at the church was saying, go 166. Apparently, that's a really good way to get to the beach. I looked on the map, and 166 is about 15 miles south, right? And over, I'm like, why am I going to go south and over when 58 is right here, you know? So I said, honey, we're not going on that route. I don't know. They probably go on that route because, you know, there's some pit stop along the way they want to eat at. We're not going to do that. We're going to go the direct route. I had had another friend of mine uh, who I just met at that. That's why I just met him. His name was Mark San Diego. And he said, we always go Highway 46. It's a little to the north, a little out of the way, but it gets you there pretty quick. A little to the north? That's like 30 miles to the north. I'm not going to drive halfway up California just to get over when I have 58 right in front of me. So we pack into what, and then we only had our little car little Saturn, four-cylinder Saturn, three kids in the back, me and my wife in the front, and uh, uh, we get on the Highway 58, and it's great for a while. I have to admit, 58 is the way to go for about the first 20 miles of the trip. <laughs> then all of a sudden, we have our first switchback, then our second switchback, then the first time Lucas pukes. Then the second time Lucas pukes. <laughs> then all of a sudden, we're going in so many different places, and then we meet this patch of road where I thought I was literally surfing 
the road goes like this, and it goes like this. Now we're all puking. And Tanya looks at me and says, yeah, you got this. We finally get to the beach. I run and dunk my head in the, in the 50-degree ocean just to get the dizziness out. And it took like three and a half hours. We spent an hour there, and we turned around. And I said, all right, do you want to go on 46 or 166? <laughs> We're not going back that way. But, you know, I, 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 I said to Tanya, God gave me a brain, and I'm going to use it. That is my first mistake <laughs> right there, whenever I use my brain. This morning, we're talking about checking in with God before disaster strikes. And uh, Bob, if you could, I have a funny little video we're going to show here. This is probably gone now. It's probably illegal now. But there was a road, I believe it's in Maryland, and the... There's a little sign there that says 11 foot 8 inch clearance. Oh, no air conditioning on that trip. Boom! Ooh, I hope they got insurance for the Enterprise truck. Oh, man! Yeah. And look at how it peeled that away like a slice of butter. And you know what every driver's thinking? Oh, we'll make it, right? I mean, look how fast they're going. Of course we're going to make it. Boom! Oh, that, that one just stopped it. Oh! That, that guy, oh, yes, lifted the whole truck up. You, you'd think that there'd be a sign or something. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Bam. This is how I spent my week. There's about 20 minutes of this. I had to... No, I didn't watch the whole 20 minutes, but... But it is kind of, I have no clue what that was for, um, but boom, all right, I think we get the point, <laughs> all right, one more, oh, okay, never mind, <laughs> the night one's kind of funny too, anyway, so, so here is, here's what's going on in all the people's minds right before they hit that bridge, what is it? I got this, I got this, right? Famous last words. Turn with me in your Bibles. This morning, I'm going to do something a little different. We're going to read a story in the Bible. We're going to extensively read it. I got it up on the screen. Uh, I don't have a lot to say. I just really want the Bible to say it because it says it so well. And so uh, this morning, my first, I have four points. And uh, really, what we're talking about is checking in with God. And my first point is this. Avoid thinking that, oh, yeah, you can't handle the truth. <laughs> Come on. How many of you have seen that movie? That's the best part of the movie right there. <laughs> Next slide. Avoid thinking I only listen to people who tell me what I want to hear. In 1 Kings chapter 22, 
the nation of Israel is divided. Imagine the United States if the Civil War had had a stalemate and we had a northern president and a southern president. This is what happens to the kingdom uh, of David and Solomon. They split into two. They have a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And for this kind of rare moment, they're not at war. And the southern king goes and visits the northern king. The southern king is named Jehoshaphat. And the northern king is named Ahab, the famous Ahab that Elijah took on in a contest. And it says here, beginning in verse 4, so remember, they're sitting down having social hour, and he asks King Jehoshaphat, will you go with me to fight against Ramoth Gilead? And Jehoshaphat replied to the king of Israel, Ahab, I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. This is a great show of unity, really, if you think about it. But Jehoshaphat also said to the king of Israel, well, first, we should seek the counsel of the Lord. What does he do? First, we should check in with God, see what God says about this. And so the king of Israel brought together the prophets, about 400 men, and asked them, but these are not the prophets of the Lord. They're not the prophets of Yahweh. They're pagan prophets. And they asked them, Shall I go to war against Ramoth Gilead, or shall I refrain? They all answered, Go, for the Lord will give it into the king's hand. But Jehoshaphat asked, have we switched? Yeah. But Jehoshaphat asked, Is there no longer a prophet of the Lord here whom we can inquire of? That's a big indictment. Do you have anybody that's listening to God here anymore? And the king of Israel answered Jehoshaphat, there is still one prophet through whom we can inquire of the Lord, but I hate him because he never prophesies anything good about me, but always bad. He is Micaiah, the son of Imlah. And Jehoshaphat replied, the king should not say such a thing. In short, what is Ahab saying? He tells me what I don't want to hear. How many of you have ever had people in your life, they excel in telling you what you don't want to hear, right? <laughs> it's like they have a PhD in it. They have made it their personal career to tell you things that you don't want to hear. And sometimes those are people you should not listen to. But sometimes it's us. Sometimes we've got a plan. We're going to go our own way, and we don't want anybody messing with it. And we've always got these people that kind of bring in the, well, what does the Lord think about that? Or have you prayed about that? Or have you checked in with God about that? Or is that, does that fit in with God's plan in your life? Or, you know, how does that work with your family situation? And we're like, I don't want to hear it. Right? That's King Ahab. I don't really send for this Micaiah because he always tells me things I don't want to hear. One of the first dangers that we can have, one of the first dangers that pride leads us to is we can get to a point where we only surround ourselves with people who tell us what we want to hear. Oh, Tom, you're so good. Oh, Tom, you're so kind. Oh, Tom, you're just one of the greatest people in the world. Of course, I'm going to naturally want to surround my people with, uh, surround my life with those kind of people. Those are the kind of people I want to sit down next to uh, uh, at Denny's with and say, "All right, start," you know, <laughs> and don't stop, you know. Surround. 
But what I've had to learn to discipline to do is to go to the people who I know are going to tell me what I don't want to hear. You know what, Tom? Something's wrong with, with, with something. I feel something's up. I feel, you know what, Tom? You, you, you know, you, you do this or you do that. You know, Tom, did you take a shower today? You know, Tom, what's going on? I mean, you know, there are people who will tell me what I don't want to hear. And it, as hard as it's been, it's a discipline to try to befriend those people because it's so easy for us to drown out those purveyors of truth and only keep people in our lives who will keep singing our song over and over and over. And we just kind of put to the wayside those who may bring us a challenge from time to time. A few years ago, about 15 years ago, we had a young girl in our youth group, and, um, and she was a very, very pretty, beautiful young girl, and she was at one of the state fairs, and a modeling agent found her and said, my goodness, we have got to get you a contract, we've got to get you a portfolio, and, uh, and make you a no model, and, and this was legit, she was, she was that type of quality of a pretty face, I guess, whatever, and I remember she came to me, and she said, you know, what do you think about this, Pastor Tom? And I said, kiddo, don't do it. What, do you think the whole industry is just corrupt? I said, no. There are Christian women who are models and they make it, but they have a family structure. They have a support structure. They have all of these things in place that help them to make it. And you're 16 years old right now and you have none of that. All you have is me and Tanya. This is a girl who had such a horrible family that when the daddy-daughter dance came, she asked me to go with her. And so Tanya and I went to this daddy-daughter dance with her, and uh, it was actually, it was a great moment uh, to be able to do that, but at the same time, I kept telling her, I said, you know what, I just, I know you. You want to grow up, you want to get married, you want to have kids, you want to have horses, you want to live in Auburn, which was a very rural part of Washington. You want, I said, everything I've heard, everywhere you're going is this way. And now this person comes and says, oh, you're pretty. You're, we want to put you on the cover of this and wants to take you this way. And I said, I, I just, everything we've seen from the Lord is you're going this way. And now you get this temptation to go this way. But that temptation went out. You know, it's hard when your pastor's saying, you know, this is the course you've been on. But you've got someone else saying, man, I can take you to Hollywood. And, and this person did. Uh, this modeling agency took her to Hollywood. And, it, and, and I hate to prophesy gloom and doom, but it ended up horrible. You know, 10 years of destruction and, and disease. And I, I won't go into the whole story, but she did come back. And, uh, and it was just one of those things where it's like, you know, I'm glad I did it, Pastor Tom. You were right. I should have never done it. But I'm glad I did it because, you know, I know now that how easy I can be dissuaded off the path of God and I'm never going to do that again. And I often think of that, of, that, of that sentence. Don't just surround yourself with people who are telling you what you want to hear. Surround yourself with the truth tellers. <clears throat> the most dangerous trait of pride is this sentence. When we come to the point we say, it doesn't matter if God's got this because I got this. No, it does matter if God's got this. God just doesn't speak so that he can hear himself. If he's going to say something, it's because it's important for us to hear it and heed it. Amen? Amen. Number two, open your heart to the fact that God speaks life-giving truth whether we like it or not. Let's finish. Let's continue with the story. So the king of Israel called one of his officials and said, all right, 
bring that Micaiah, son of Imla, at once. And so dressed in their royal robes, the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, which was the southern kingdom, were sitting on their thrones at the threshing floor by the entrance of the gate of Samaria. Samaria was the capital of the northern kingdom. It was the Jerusalem of the northern kingdom. And they had all the prophets prophesying before them. Now, a particular prophet, Zedekiah, son of Kinanah, Kinanah, <laughs> that is how you say it, had made iron horns. And he declared, this is what the Lord says, with these you will gore the Arameans. That's the enemy. You will gore the Arameans until they are destroyed. So this guy goes, hires a metalsmith to make him horns, presents it to the king and says, with these you will gore the Arameans. What's he saying? Go and attack them. You will be victorious. <clears throat> All the other prophets were prophesying the same thing, attack Ramoth Gilead and be victorious. They said, for the Lord will give it into the king's hand. Verse 13, then the messenger who had gone to summon Micaiah said to him, and this is the messenger, said, look, the other prophets without exception are predicting success for the king. Let your word agree with theirs. In other words, tell the king what he wants to hear. And in that day and age, the safest possible decision would be to tell the king what he wants to hear, not to tell the king what he doesn't want to hear. And I love what Micaiah says in verse 14. As surely as the Lord lives, I can only tell him what the Lord tells me. That is a man of God. And when you find one in this world, stick close to him. Those are the ones you want to keep in your pocket all the time. And so the Micaiah, uh, in verse 15, he arrives, and the king asked him, Micaiah, shall we go to war against Ramoth Gilead or not? <laughs> this is Micaiah's answer. Attack and be victorious, for the Lord will give it into the king's hand. Now, some of you are saying, wait a minute. <laughs> he is saying what the other prophets are saying. Remember, how many kings are standing before Micaiah? Two. So he doesn't give up. Which king is going to be victorious? And so the king said to him in verse 16, this is Ahab, and he, gets kind of, he, kind of snu- he kind of gets wind of the sarcasm. He says, how many times must I swear, uh, make you swear to tell me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? And Micaiah says, I saw all Israel scattered on the hills like sheep without a shepherd. And the Lord said, these people have no master. What is he saying? You're not a king. You're no king. The Lord has told me these people have no real leader. They just have nothing but a bully. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, didn't I tell you that he never prophesies anything good about me, but only the bad? (laughs) A couple of things here. First of all, when you're closed, you're closed. I meet people like this all the time. When they're closed, there's almost no point in speaking truth. I'll wait them out. As a pastor, I wait them out until they're open. If they never get open, they never get open. But when you are closed off, when you just do not want to hear it, uh, I mean, I pray for the best. I hope the worst doesn't happen. But I mean, when you're closed, that's a dangerous place to be. Live life open. Live life, because you never know when that one little voice from outside is going to go, wait a minute, warning, warning, warning. Think about this. Highway 58, 
You may puke six times before you get there, and even though it's the road right by your house, it might not be the straightest path to get to your destination. You may have to go a little bit out of the way for Highway 46. You may have to go a little bit out of the way for 166, but you'll get there and only be a little dizzy. I remember I, I, was, I, I was needing to earn some extra money. It was my first, first year of ministry. And, uh, and I was earning $922 a month. It's my first year of ministry. Yes. It was a great year for me. You know? and, and so the pastor said, you know what? For Christmas, I'm going to release you for two weeks. You can go work with the milkman. We had a milkman in our church. So I'm working with this milkman. And, and every time I go to work with him, we go up to a house, and he's pointing out all the things wrong with the house. You know, oh, man, the foundation here, and da-da-da. He, he knew a lot about house. I thought he was being critical, but he was actually just kind of like, you know, it was fun for him. A few years later, uh, he has this thing where he's thinking of selling his milkman business to become a home inspector. Now, his milkman business was making great money and all that, and I, and I remember uh, it was kind of an, a lot of anguish for him. And as we were praying, I just blurted it out. I think you should do it. I think this is the Lord. You mean, I mean, it's a lot of money. Tom, if you're wrong, is this really God? You know, I'm like, oh, man, don't put that pressure on me because if you're like out on the street, you know, because of this, I don't want you to blame me. I said, but you know what? I just see you have way more passion for houses than you do for milk. I'm sorry. But I observed that just working for you. And, uh, and, and, and it, was, it was a good ending in the story. He sold his milk business, and he became not only a home inspector, but within about four years, he became a county inspector and, uh, and just kind of you know, rose through the ranks, and it all worked out. So there are times when God's going to speak the truth, and he doesn't speak for his own joy to hear himself speaking, but that you know there's some guidance in it. The third thing is accept God's warning that the enemy, the enemy will also tell you what you want to hear. Point number three may be the point that many of you got to really chew on this week. Let's, follow, let's keep going with the story. Micaiah continued, Therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne with all the multitudes of heaven standing around him on his right and on his left. What's Micaiah saying? My God trumps all these gods of these prophets. Whatever they're telling you, those are lower gods. I went to the God who is seated high above the heavens and above the universe. And the Lord said this, who will entice Ahab into attacking Ramoth Gilead and going to his death there? Now, Micaiah is obviously not uh, reenacting an actual conversation with God. God's not uh, looking for, for demons to tempt us. You know, he's anthropomorphized. He's using anthropomorphism. He's assigning a human situation to a divine uh, scenario. And so you have to play it out through that eyes. It's a figure of speech here. And it says here that one spirit suggested this, another spirit suggested that. And finally, a spirit came forward, stood before the Lord and said, I will entice him. By what means, the Lord asked. I will go out and be a deceiving spirit in the mouths of all of his prophets you will succeed in enticing him, said the Lord, go and do it. And so, so now the Lord has put a deceiving spirit in the mouths of all these prophets of yours, for the Lord has decreed disaster for you. It's deep. Probably one of the things we need to be aware of most, the enemy 
will tell us what we want to hear too. And he will use that influence and, though, and that enticement to lead us away from God's plan and into a plan like Highway 58 where we're puking every third mile. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But I mean, that's part of what happens is the enemy will sometimes use people you trust to steer you astray. A few years ago, uh, I was a part of a cadre. I, I've since not been a part of it, but I was a part of it then. And it was an under 40s pastor cadre. Obviously, I'm over 40. That's part of the reason why I'm not part of it. And in the gathering, there was, uh, it was local here, there was some pastors who were my age. And one of the pastors came and said, you know what? I think I'm done. I have an opportunity to go work for an oil company, make twice what I make, and not have any of the headache of this church or this ministry anymore. And all of the other pastors, man, take it. Man, you ought to do it. Twice the money? I leave my church for that. Man, your church is hard. I've been there before. Man, don't, don't let these people bury you. Get out of there while the getting's good. All these people are trying to give this pastor exactly what he wanted to hear. You know, yes, life's hard. Your church is hard. It's been a rough go of it the last couple of years. You should just get out. Go make that. Go leave your troubles behind. Any reasonable American would say that's the thing to do, right? I was new. I just sat there quiet, absolutely disgusted and filled with rage. I'm thinking to myself, man, if you're that weak and wimpy, you should have never became a pastor. This is not a job for the weak and wimpy. I'll tell you that right now. You've got to fight with all your strength. You've got to, I mean, I'm looking, and to my horror, I'm looking at these other guys going, I serve alongside with you, and I want to slap all of you right now. You're telling them to leave because it's hard? Is that what you tell your people to quit their jobs because it gets hard? Is that what you're going to tell your kids to quit life because it gets hard? Do we, are we so pursuing the presence of pleasure and the absence of pain that we're that wimpy now? That we have no emotional stamina to stick it out when the going gets tough? I looked and I said, you should stay exactly where you are because it doesn't happen in year two. It may not happen in year five. It may not happen in year seven, but it will happen. Well, how do you know, Tom? How can you say? Because God has promised it will happen. I don't know, Tom, man. It's a big thing. You know what? I don't know about you guys, but before I die, I want to sink my teeth into the Lord's victory. And I'm 42 years old, and that hasn't happened yet. But one day I will. I will sink my teeth into the Lord's victory. And it won't be because it's easy. It'll be because it's hard, and you met that hardness by standing and saying, I will not move. Amen. Yeah. So I'm looking around, and I'm like, man, you're all ministers, but I don't hear the voice of the Lord coming out of you. I hear the voice of the enemy. Go ahead and quit. Leave this church. There's tons of pastors who can come and do this church. They don't need you. What are you? You're, you're just another guy that's come along, and there will be more guys that come after you. And 
I remember the last night, I never saw him again, because he, he did leave, and he did, and, uh, and, and the worst thing is, is the Doyle job never even panned out. It panned out for six months to a year or so, and then, uh, and then, uh, I don't know what you call it, the oil industry crash, yeah, I mean, I want to say stock market crash, because it wasn't that, but all of a sudden, you know, oil's like 20 bucks a barrel, and they're laying everybody off, and, and, uh, and again, I'm not, I'm not, Please don't sit there saying, man, Tom's loving this because he was right. I, I, I wasn't, that wasn't my point in sharing that. My point is looking around at those other people saying, man, I don't know if you're speaking the voice of the Lord right now. And we're ministers. Our people are counting on us to speak the voice of the Lord. And I'm hearing, get out because it's hard. You can make twice the amount of money. What? If we got in this because it was easy and it paid well, no one would be in this. It's hard and you're taken care of. That's the life you accept. But sometimes, accept God's warning that the enemy will also tell you exactly what you want to hear. And finally, number four, live a life of check-in prayer. I should have done this before I went on Highway 58. I didn't. But I'll tell you this. I have never taken that route again. Somebody tried to tempt me once. Yeah, I know. Some people like, some of you are like, Somebody tried to tempt me once, and I did not take that temptation. The only way I would go on Highway 58 again is if somebody drove me up to the top of it, gave me a bike, and I'd ride my bike down it. That would be fun. You know, all the curves and all the whoop-de-whoops. I mean, I'd get a kick out of that. But for utility and functional sake, sake, never going to happen. But here's the thing. Living a life of check and prayer, and this is how it works for me. I'm going along, I'm about to make a decision, and all of a sudden I just get this little check. Have I checked in with God? What does God think about that? Where's God at with that? Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Wait, just give me a second. I got to stop and pray about this for a minute. I don't know if I have God's peace, you know. Whoa, 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 whoa. Just, 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 just give me a minute. It frustrates people sometimes, especially like some of our leadership councils. You know what? I got to sleep on this for a night. You know, we're going to wait a week on this. No hurry. Why? 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 Because I got to check in. I got to check in. I know what happens when I don't check in. Everybody starts puking. I got to check in. So here's, here's, here's five things that I think check in to see whether in the Lord's leading or not. When you do check in, remind God of his promises. God, I'm checking in, and I want to remind you, you have promised to lead me, love me, guide me, forgive me. Based on your promises, I'm asking you right now, is the direction I'm going on the direction you have for me? Third thing, move forward in worship. Whether it has happened or not, you know, God, I... I I don't hear the voice of the Lord like an email. You know, sometimes I got to go on faith. Like, in fact, a lot of times I got to go on faith. Like, oh, Lord, I'm moving in this direction, and I'm just going to worship you before it even happens. Fourth thing, expect God to move. When we pray and we don't expect God to do anything, guess what? We're pro- he probably will we'll do something, and we'll never even notice it. Pray expecting God to move, and then look for it. And then number five, be prepared to return and thank God for his covering. The blessing of God is this. When we check in with him, he promises us, as you get older, I would have never seen the value of this as a teenager. 
So I've never seen the value of this as a young man. As someone who's not necessarily an old man, not necessarily a young man anymore, but old enough to know this. As I began to look back on my life, it's amazing how important leaving a good legacy is becoming. You know? Rather than leaving a legacy of of confusion and was I on God's path and was my life what it was supposed to be? You know, rather than having that, when you do these check-ins, you just have that nice, steady, upward pull. You look back and you begin to recognize there was a legacy to the life I lived. I left something good behind for those who are following. And that is perhaps one of the greatest joys you can get as you age. I've talked with older people who have no legacy. And they, they have something inside of them that's constantly gnawing at their heart. There's a grumpiness and an irritability. There's a sucking out of the peace. And they can't seem to understand why that peace is always getting sucked out. And then I've noticed the lives of those who had that constant check-in. God, is this you? God, Whoa, whoa, wait, wait, wait. Before I go up against Ramoth Gilead, God, what's going on here? And I've noticed that the people pursue that. The blessing they get as they age is peace. Let me say, Tom, can you prove it? I can. Let me finish the story of King Jehoshaphat. The battle, Ahab died in the battle. Jehoshaphat claimed victory. He went home, and the Arameans who were defeated went to three other kings and said, Ahab died, but Jehoshaphat lived. They gathered the largest army in the Middle East at that time, and they go up against Jehoshaphat. Now Jehoshaphat's a little concerned, and it says, he inquired of the Lord, Lord, should we surrender or should we fight? I believe we should fight. I believe you did not give us this promised land only to have it retaken. But Lord, I'm asking you, now, Jehoshaphat had a very good prophet of the Lord in his pocket. And when he came, he said, Jehoshaphat, this is what the Lord says. The battle belongs to the Lord, not to you. He has already promised you victory. You go out and you meet him and watch the Lord fight the battle. And you know what Jehoshaphat did? Instead of sending the infantry to the front... He sent the worship team to the front, armed with harps and lyres and trumpets and timbrels. All of those men on the other side with their spears and swords are looking, was he going to beat me over the head with a tuba? (laughs) And as they began to march, they began to sing the praises to the Almighty God. And as the marching gets louder, All of a sudden, the Spirit of the Lord descends on the enemy camp, causes confusion. They turn and start attacking each other. They run back to their homes, and it says, for the rest of Jehoshaphat's life, he experienced peace on all sides. That's what God wants for you, peace on all sides. How do we get it? Check in prayer. Amen? Before we end this morning, I want to make a very simple invitation. Because this kind of relationship is not something you're just born with. The Bible says it's something that we have to choose at one point. 
It's something we have to make a decision to say, you know what? I want that kind of relationship, the kind of relationship that Jehoshaphat had where he could check in with God as a friend, knowing that his imperfections and sins were taken care of. And so this morning, I'd like to make an invitation of who here would like to renew or restore their relationship with God so that you can begin to live a life of checking in with him. When he taps you on the heart, you haven't grown so accustomed to ignoring that tap, but that you're resensitizing yourself to that little tap on your heart. It says, wait a minute, I got to check in with God. Or maybe for some of you, you don't have a relationship with God. You're not sure if your sins are forgiven. You're not sure what's going to happen after you die. Whether it's for the first time or rededicating your life. If you'd like to have a relationship with Jesus, make him your Lord and Savior and enter into his eternal life and covenant. If that's something you like to say, you know what, I'd like to make that decision this morning. Just go ahead and look up at me right now. Amen. 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 A lot of first-timers. Amen. God had a plan for you coming to church today. Let's go ahead and say this again. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for forgiving my sins. I make you my Lord and Savior. Fill me with your spirit and the peace that comes with check-in prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.